Hey, welcome to the Christmas and now the New Year's edition of More Than Bread. My name is Dan, and together we are making our way to the beginning of a new year, 2024. And like I've said in the last few episodes, it's kind of a, an in-between week for me. If there's a Super Bowl of church gatherings, it's probably Christmas Eve. And for me, if there's a Super Bowl of offerings, it's our 1% offering. We had over 1,700 people at our Christmas Eve services, and we exceeded our goal for the 1% offering. So for me, it's like, okay, we did it. Let's take a break. But at the same time, we're gearing up for the new year, right? I mean, that's important too. This will actually be our last Christmas New Year's pause. If you're listening to each episode as they drop, then this is the last episode for this week. On Monday, New Year's Day, I'll do a special episode on prayer because we're kicking off a week of prayer at Calvary, and that's really important to me. And and then we'll be back to Paul's letters from prison to finish out January. So this is Christmas pause number 20 and episode number 223 of More Than Bread. Before I dive into this episode, this week I hit over 40,000 downloads, which ain't all that much compared to a, a big one, but it ain't nothing. And really, honestly, I just wanted to say thank you to all those of you who've been hanging out with me as as we make our way through the Word of God, dive into the words of God found in the Word of God that all ultimately point to the one who is called the Word, Jesus. I have listeners, most of them are right here locally, center region, center county. But man, there, there's a, a handful of you that, that span all the way around the world. Uh, Myanmar, Thailand, Africa, <laughs> even California. Whoever it is that's listening, man, I just I just want to say thank you. Thanks for joining me, and uh, thanks for being a part of this. So like I said in the l- last episode, we are closing this Christmas, heading into a New Year's pause by letting the Apostle John share a few words about Christmas. And the last two episodes focused on John 1, and this time we're going to John's words in the last book, the book of Revelation. So listen as I read John's Christmas story, the Revelation version. I'm reading Revelation 12, verses 1 through 11 from the New Living Translation. John has this vision, and he describes a vision, and this is what he says. Then I witnessed in heaven an event of great significance. I saw a woman clothed with a sun, with the moon beneath her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant, and she cried out because of her labor pains and the agony of giving birth. Then I witnessed in heaven another significant event. I saw a large red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, with seven crowns on his heads, and his tail swept away one-third of the stars in the sky, and he threw them to the earth. He stood in front of the woman as she was about to give birth, ready to devour her baby as soon as it was born. She gave birth to a son who was to rule all nations with an iron rod, and her child was snatched away from the dragon and was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where God had prepared a place to care for her for 1,260 days. Then there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels, and the dragon lost the battle, and he and his angels were forced out of heaven. And this great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth with all his angels. Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens, It has come at last, salvation and power in the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to the earth, the one who accuses them before our God day and night, and they have defeated him. They have defeated him by the blood of the Lamb and by their testimony. 
and because they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. You know, if I asked you how you see Christmas, few of us would go to John's description in Revelations 12. But you do recognize that this is the Christmas story, right? I would say backstage, but it's really front and center. It's the most real version of Christmas we can find. When you see Christmas that way, things change, right? Stephen Covey tells a story of a Sunday morning on a subway in New York City. People were sitting quietly, some reading newspapers, some lost in thought, some resting with eyes closed. It was this calm, peaceful scene when suddenly a father and his children entered the subway car. And the children were so loud, so rambunctious, that instantly the the whole mood of the subway car changed. The guy sat down next to him and closed his eyes, seemingly oblivious to it all. The children were yelling back and forth, throwing things, even grabbing people's papers. It was very annoying, and yet their dad did nothing. It'd be difficult not to feel irritated, right? I mean, move the situation into your own life, multiply it, perhaps give it a Christmas spin. Your desires for a peaceful, wondrous family moment are frustrated by some unforeseen problem or an old, never-ending issue, and it seems your Heavenly Father does nothing. I mean, even more at Christmas, we struggle with this tension between how things should be and how they seem to be. Unmet expectations. We're looking for Kodak moments and we keep getting undeveloped film. You remember that, right? (laughs) We want peace and joy. After all, isn't that what Christmas advertises? Silent night, holy night, calm, bright, tender, mild, sleep, peace. I don't know, maybe that's why the family fights are even harder to handle at Christmas, why death seems especially tragic at Christmas, why war seems even more wicked at Christmas. Because Christmas is the poster child holiday for peace and joy. Because if we can just be where God is, then everything will be okay, right? A few years ago, someone shared a special Christmas memory with me, a great family moment kind of experience. But she ended the email with the words, I've talked to so many people lately who really have no good Christmas memories. And it seems wrong, but really it is so very Christmas. Remember Matthew's version of the first Christmas in chapter 2 said, Herod and all of Jerusalem was troubled, stirred up by the talk of a new king. Mary and Joseph getting word that they need to run for their life because Herod wants to kill Jesus. Another peaceful Christmas moment. Not exactly our idea of a great Christmas tradition. But it gets worse. When Herod finds out that he's played the fool to three wise guys, he goes on a murderous rampage, killing all the baby boys under two in the Bethlehem district. Christmas joy. In an essay called The Battle of Bethlehem, the writer focuses on the last part of that that first verse of O Little Town of Bethlehem. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. I mean, can you imagine that? All the hopes and all the fears of all the years colliding in one little town. Great hope and great fear locked in unseen mortal combat. I mean, that's the DNA of Christmas. As Stephen Covey said on that subway train, he couldn't believe this father could be so insensitive as to let his kids run wild and do nothing about it. Everybody else in the subway was getting irritated also. So finally, with what he felt was unusual patience and restraint, Covey turned to the dad and said, Sir, your children are really disturbing a lot of people. I wonder if you could control them a little bit more. The guy lifted his eyes as if to become aware of what was taking place for the very first time and softly said, Ah, you're right. I guess I should do something about it. We just came from the hospital where their mother died about an hour ago, and I don't know what to think. 
I guess they don't know how to handle it either. For just a moment, put yourself in Stephen Covey's shoes. I mean, look through his eyes. Suddenly he said, I saw things differently because I saw things differently. I thought differently. I felt differently. I behaved differently. It was, it was an aha moment, a paradigm shift. Everything changed in an instant because in that instant he saw with new eyes. Let me ask you, how do you see Christmas? And don't we need perhaps to see with new eyes? Don't we need maybe to look behind the wrapping paper? Our our whole lives we've lived near Christmas, and yet at times it's so easy to lose sight. In our hearts we've known all along, every December 26th we wake up feeling a bit unsettled, like something is awry, like I'm missing something. But John frames the Christmas story with the words, and then there was war in heaven. You might not see it if you weren't looking for it. Few of the usual elements in John's Revelation Christmas story. No shepherds, no stables, no swaddling clothes, no silent night, holy night. But this is the Christmas story. The story behind the story, the iceberg beneath the tip. Instead of a young woman named Mary from Nazareth, we have this awe-inspiring vision of a pregnant woman clothed with a sun, 12 stars on her head like a diamond tiara. She's huge with child. This is Mary, but more than Mary, this is also the church. It's the mother of Christ and the bride of Christ all merged into one. Pregnant with the Messiah, pregnant with hope for the future, pregnant with the life of God for all people. But as she groans and pushes in expectancy, a dragon rends the stillness, the gaping jaws of an enormous seven-headed red dragon, open, ready to devour the baby, devour hope. This is no Sully from Monsters, Inc. Warm-hearted under a fearful appearance, the horns and the crown symbolize great destructive power and authority. John clearly identifies the dragon as the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan. The child is born and snatched away, waiting for his time to reign. The woman is kept safe, but there is war in heaven. C.S. Lewis once wrote, one of the things that surprised me when I first read the New Testament seriously was that it talks so much about a dark power in the universe, a mighty evil spirit who was held to be the power behind death and disease and sin, enemy-occupied territory, Lewis wrote. That's what this world is. Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed, you might say landed in disguise, and is calling us all to take part in a great campaign. Christmas was a point of cosmic invasion. Ever since the world's been at war, suddenly some of those Christmas stories make more sense. Herod was simply a king protecting his kingdom. The Bethlehem babies were casualties of war. The flight into Egypt was a strategic retreat. And behind it all is this epic battle between God and evil, between the kingdoms of this world and the kingdom of our Lord. Don't be so confused when bad things happen to good people. It's war. Don't get discouraged when we experience times of defeat and darkness in our spiritual lives. It's part of the battle. When tensions develop in relationships, don't be caught off guard. It's the enemy's strategy to divide and conquer. should be no surprise when we struggle to remember a good Christmas memory when it's a celebration. Our enemy loves to hate and hates to remember. That first Christmas, as much as we want to cover it with the trappings of wonder, sweetness, and peace— More than anything, it was a military strike. It was a declaration of war against the world's foremost terrorist. And that's why Christmas is also a call to each one of us to risk. Life is a risk. And Christmas is no different. Uh, A number of years ago, when when the kids were young, um, we were robbed. 
It was kids, actually. They broke into our home in the early morning hours while we were still sleeping and took a bunch of our stuff. I think they were high school kids. My youngest son, Josh, was about four at the time. And sometimes before that, he's afraid to go upstairs by himself. And when I would ask him why, he'd always say, bad guys. I'm afraid of the bad guys. (laughs) And I'd always ask him, Josh, have there ever been any bad guys in our house? And he'd say, no. And I'd close our little liturgy then with, then you, you don't have anything to be afraid of, do you? (laughs) <laughs> lost that one. You know, after the robbery, I wanted to be able to say to each of our kids, it's okay, nothing bad will ever happen to you. Mom and dad will protect you. And if we can't protect you, Jesus can. But but I, I couldn't do that. I mean, it's not true, at least not the way we want it to be true. I think we got messed up thinking that if we can just be where Jesus is, it'll all be okay. And And surely if there's one time of the year when we can be where Jesus is, it's Christmas, Emmanuel, God with us. And and God is with us. Jesus is with us. It's one of the greatest promises in Scripture. But you see, sometimes when I read the Bible, it seems like being where Jesus was brought a lot of risk. That doing what God wanted was actually often quite risky. In fact, doing what God wanted led Jesus to the poverty of a birth in a barn. It led Mary and Joseph to run for their lives as international refugees. Living in Jesus' neighborhood brought an unrestrained cry of anguish from the mothers of Bethlehem. Doing it God's way led Jesus from a manger to a cross. Why? Because Christmas is a call to take a risk and join the conspiracy against darkness and evil. You read Matthew and Luke's version of the Christmas story, and in the midst of those sentimental nativity scenes, what's the most common greeting? Don't be afraid. Fear not. You know, in the last decade, it's a couple of decades, it's grown increasingly popular to believe in angels. Angels are in style, even in circles where belief in God remains an embarrassment. People are encouraged by the thought that they might be assisted in life by an angel. But you may have noticed, biblically speaking, encouragement was not the first emotion experienced by those who encounter real angels. In fact, those who encounter real angels seem to have an abundant lack of courage. (laughs) You know how I know that? It's because the first thing every angel seems to say when he shows up is, don't be afraid, fear not. As John Eldridge writes, these are not cherubic little children with golden wings looking no more dangerous than the rosy-cheeked members of a local preschool. Real angels are mighty, glorious, dreadful beings, more powerful than you can imagine. And of course, that is who God would send. It was a war. But these mighty warriors brought good news of a coming great joy for all people, a manger. And a manger. I mean, who would have thought that the front line of one of the most important cataclysmic battles would have been a manger and a stable and a backwards village and a no-name country? But it reminds me that when it comes to the Christmas conspiracy, the battle is won in everyday places. As you listen right now, you might be thinking that this spiritual battle stuff might be real, but it's not around here. It's not in my home. I'm I'm not going to be affected by it in my everyday places. But you know what? Wherever God is going to show up sooner or later, there'll be a battle. And once we've seen God show up in a manger, can we ever again be sure of where he will appear? I mean, there's no place too small. There's no place too humble. And And really, don't we want God to show up in our places? 
even if it means the villain will show up, even if it means there'll be a a battle, isn't the presence of God worth it? So ask yourself, where is my place? Where do you want God to show up? For the shepherds, it was a field in their hometown, the place where they lived and worked. For for Mary, it was the birth of a child and her family. For Joseph, it was in a place he probably wouldn't have chosen. The Magi had to go on a long trip to get to their place, kind of like spiritual seekers. Where's your place? Where do you want God to show up? In that place, there will be a battle, but but listen, the battle is won by ordinary people who are willing to risk, people who are willing to take the risk of obedience, the risk of sacrifice, the risk of generosity. And that Christmas risk, it leads to Christmas glory. So I'm just asking you in this year to come, let's not let Christmas be just a day that we celebrate annually over and over again, but but let it be a daily thing. Let, let's keep Christmas going all year long. And the only way we do that is by entering into the battle, taking the risk for Christmas. Ordinary people used by God in everyday places to bring about a conspiracy of Christmas, that will last more than just a season. Where do you want God to show up? Where do you want Jesus to to be born into that situation, into that place? What risk is Jesus calling you to take in 2024? Let me pray for you. Father God, God, I I thank you that um, the Bible doesn't sugarcoat reality. Uh, The Bible says that there's a battle, that our battle is not against flesh and blood, never against flesh and blood, but it's always against principalities and powers, against spiritual forces of darkness in the heavenly places. Nowhere do we see that more evident than at Christmas, and yet somehow we've we've pushed that out of our mind. We 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 think of Christmas as being this sentimental kind of heart warming moment when in reality it's it's battle, it's it's war. And, and yet, God, you've told us that in the end the light wins. That there is no battle that's too great for you, that we fight on the winning side. <laughs> So God, I pray that you would help us to kind of find that role, the ordinary people used by you in everyday places to bring about a conspiracy of Christmas that that lasts all year long. I pray that we would be willing to take a risk that the Christmas story would continue throughout the year, not just be a day. God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for pouring out your light. We thank you for giving us your son. We thank you for giving us everything that we need to be victorious in the battle. I pray for each and every person experiencing the battle. God, would you strengthen them? Would you give them joy and peace even in the midst of the hard? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.